This is the Life-Changing Conversations podcast. Thought-provoking, pioneering, provocative, challenging, and intriguing. And that's just Neil Shah. Neil delves into the lives of his eclectic mix of guests. With his probing, curious approach, Neil explores what these ordinary people with extraordinary stories are all about. Discovering what motivates them, how experiences have shaped them, leading them to change the course of their lives. Join us in the conversation. Like, comment, share, and tell us what you think on our LCC Facebook page and here on iTunes. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of Life Changing Conversations. And this is one I've actually been looking forward to for quite some time. It's an opportunity for me to turn the tables on my coach, uh, who has helped me, been helping me and supporting me in transforming my body and my life over the last six months. And now we get to put him in the hot seat and ask him some questions. So I'm very, very pleased and honored to have my coach, Akash Vergela, on today's podcast, uh, who's head of R&T Fitness and recently published book, Transform Your Life, Transform Your, sorry, start again, Transform Your Body, Transform Your Life. Get it right, Neil. Welcome, Akash. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Thanks for having me, Neil. Oh, it's, a, it's a real pleasure. And like I said, I've been looking forward to this for quite some time. And today's not just really uh, to talk about, you know, what you do and your book. We'll get into that stuff for sure. But I also want to find out a little bit more about the man behind the brand, behind the book, who you are, what drives you, what led you to do what you what you do, but also to really start to contextualize the subject, particularly in the world that we live in today. It can be quite a divisive subject and it can be quite a, a polarizing issue because um, everyone seems to have their own opinion on it and, and everyone's an expert on the subject as well. Anyone you talk to will feel that they know better. Um, so I really want to get a sense from you, sort of what led you to develop what you do and why you feel that it's something that people really do need to pay attention to even when we're, 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 we're looking at it as such a divisive subject. So, so, so firstly, you know, what do you do? What do I do? Uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm the founder of uh, RNT Fitness, which is an online transformation company, and we help uh, regular busy people use the physical as the vehicle to transform their lives. And uh, ultimately, we keep a strong focus on helping people not only get into the shape of their lives, but teach them how to stay there and continue to improve. Because this industry is broken and fixated on getting people into amazing shape, but yep. forget about everything that happens afterwards. Because that, that's why we have a, a dieting cycle. That's why we have the yo-yoing, the rebounding. And that's why a dieting industry is worth billions of dollars. And the, and the way, uh, the position that we take is that it's a journey. And getting into shape is merely the first checkpoint uh, along that journey. And it's what happens after that really matters. Because what happens after is where you start rewiring your mindset, your behavior, and your identity to allow yourself to maintain everything you achieved and continue to improve uh, thereafter. So that's essentially how we work at RNT, what we what we believe as a core philosophy and what I do. Awesome. I'm, I'm starting with easy questions, the ones that you would have practiced and would know how to respond to. So I'm just warming you up. But uh, there's an important word that you use there, which is identity. Yeah. Um, because that for me is an interesting one because I feel from my own personal journey, and it's great that we're having this conversation today rather than a few months ago, because I've been on a bit of a personal journey myself during that period. And... I think really one of the biggest things that's been challenged for me is my identity. Now, I'm used to training. I've been um, competing in athletic events for yeah, probably 15 odd years now, ranging from running marathons to triathlons all the way up to doing an Ironman um, in 2014. And I have no problem training. I have no problem getting into shape. But exactly as you said, I was always on this cycle where, you know, on off-season, put on tons of weight, get back into training come January, by summer I'm in great shape. And it was always that cycle. And you could guarantee sort of by sort of December, January, I'll be about seven or eight kilos heavier than I would have been during the, the summer period. So there was something around mindset. There was definitely something around sort of, a, um, so it was my mental state. But I think for me, what I started to realize, particularly when I was training for the Ironman, where you're basically eating, training, and sleeping, and working. That's, that's about it. That's all you've got time for. I started to realize there was actually a strong spiritual component. And I'm not talking about 
religion per se. You know, obviously, for some people, their uh, spiritual outlet is religion. But for me, it's my connection to all that is. Um, and my connection to something bigger than myself. And I found that actually, that by really exploring this journey, I found that there was something deeper I needed to connect to. I know you talk about the why, um, and it wasn't just my why, there was a bigger why. Like, you know, if I'm in the best possible place that I can be, how can I contribute? How can I be more? How can I do more? How can I, you know, add more value to society in general? Yeah. So the yeah, so the result that most people see in, in our clients is the physical result. They see the aesthetics, they see the visuals, and they're all great. But what's really great and what we focus on is activating that vehicle, which is why I say physical is the vehicle, and it's why you experience that spiritual spirituality or that spiritual component when you're so engrossed in focusing on yourself and laying uh, and focusing on that foundation and laying down your anchor. And, and when you do that uh, on a day-to-day basis, you start to regain the sense of focus sense of control and you start developing confidence to activate this vehicle to then go on and do greater things whether it's in your career your relationships your your health your well-being whatever it may be you suddenly have this like you said spiritual component which can uh, allow you to impact on a greater level and this only comes from having that extreme focus on yourself and laying down that anchor on a day-to-day basis okay so just exploring that a little bit further Mm. As much as I understand the body is the gateway to the soul, as many people would describe it, we also do live in a world where there are constantly images of what your body should look like, uh, you know, what kind of shape you should be in, these kind of picture-perfect Photoshop Instagram versions of reality. And I'm seeing so many people that essentially are are aspiring to achieve something that is not realistic, is not natural. And then this is where people are going off and doing work, and, you know, plastic surgery and that kind of thing, or mm. and, and, and actually approaching it really unhealthily. And that's where, I guess for me personally, there was some resistance around kind of achieving a, a particular look. And I know one, one of the, the, the goals that you have for, for many people that go through your transformation is a photo shoot. And my initial resistance to that, and I've come around to the idea now, obviously, after having worked with you for some time, but my initial resistance to that is it's very superficial. It's kind of, um, it's a very hollow sort of a goal to have i've obviously now started to understand that there is a deeper aspect to it but what are your thoughts about that where you do live and operate in an industry where people are trying to achieve a particular look and you know for for some people that can lead to all kinds of challenges you know issues around body positivity around uh sort of eating disorders and that, that kind of thing and what is your take on that given the fact that my understanding is obviously you stand for something much bigger than than aesthetics. Yeah. So the first thing is around the the concept of the photo shoot. And the reason why I like the photo shoot, again, it's not for that hollow, uh, superficial photo. It's for everything that leads up to it. And the photo shoot is just merely a celebration of the event. But it's everything you put yourself through. And it's it, it serves as a reminder for the person who does it that they've given up a, a certain level of sacrifice. They've pushed themselves to, out of their comfort zone. They've taken themselves to a place where they probably didn't think was possible because to deal with all the mind games that go into getting into that condition allows you to start believing in yourself in a way that you didn't, pre, didn't previously think you could. And the stories you hear of people that go through a photo shoot and then maintain it afterwards, suddenly they're now able to not only have a greater um, uh, mastery of their mind, but they're able to control their body in a way that they, they couldn't before. So... The, 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 the reasoning behind a photo shoot goes way deeper and it goes into uh, every, it goes into the process of getting there rather than the actual uh, event of the photo shoot. And that's more of a memory and a celebration of there. And then in regards to your second question about being in an in- industry which is so focused on aesthetics and, and, and creating ideals around it, it's something, I mean, look, you're, you're, you run a company called Stress.org. I can't imagine the amount of people you have that come to you with these sorts of issues because Absolutely. it's it's something they're always dealing with whether it's comparison syndrome or uh body shaming or whatever it may be and as cliche as it may sound it's you can only really focus on yourself here and it's why we try and take the the process away from just dieting and calories and 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 training and, in, and into more of a journey where you're you're learning things about yourself and learning things about your your body and, and your your overall life that 
go beyond just how oh, can I fit into these jeans or not? Or can I, yeah. do I look like that guy on Instagram? Because I don't look like, um, you know, you've seen my photo shoot pages. I don't look like that year round because I, you know, I stay above that because, you know, staying like that isn't sustainable. And it's all about understanding that when you hit these checkpoints, your goal isn't to stay at that checkpoint level. It's to stay just, just below it. But I do firmly believe that everyone should, should take care of themselves and should treat their body with respect and should strive for health, strive for a healthy body composition. Because, you know, if you're, if you're not an advocate of a healthy body composition, you're going to open yourself up to all sorts of problems. So there needs to be that fine balance there uh, between health, body composition, uh, aesthetics, and well-being and i absolutely totally agree with what you're saying um it's not so much the end goal but it's it's the journey to get to that end goal and that's why obviously i'm really interested in exploring so how your journey differs now obviously i can talk from a personal experience but there'll be a lot of people that are are, are watching today um or will be watching on the catch-up that won't have an understanding of that approach and particularly your point around sort of um you, you know uh your body compositions, where you are, mental health, that, that kind of thing. One of the things that I've started to notice is there's, there's a direct correlation from the amount of people that I see that are regularly posting images of their life looking picture perfect on Instagram and Facebook. You, you know, I just did a workout today or posing in their bikinis or in their shorts and, you, you know, gym pictures and the rest of it. And these are people that regularly that I'll, I or my team will be talking to that are seriously compromised from a mental health perspective. So they're trying to prove to the world that I'm great. Now, ultimately, I think the thing that I have started to realize, the only person I need to prove anything to is myself. So just kind of talk, talk us through the journey that you take people through that is connecting them with themselves and allowing them to focus on the things that they may not have realized before. And you know, before, before you answer that question, I can talk from my own experience, as, as you know, over the last couple of weeks. Mm. I've started to realize no matter how hard I work, there were holes in my bucket. Mm. And those holes were nothing to do with how hard I trained or what I ate. It was more my beliefs around myself and what I was worthy of and what, what I deserved. Now, there is no coach, that, no athletic coach that I've worked with in my life, and I've worked with several, some are very, very high level, that have ever focused on that area. They're focused on physical, nutrition, rest, recovery, all the kind of core things that you'd expect. But that whole thing around, and even mindset, there are some coaches I work with that worked on mindset, but this was deeper. This was my beliefs about myself, and I don't know if that's something that happens with all of your clients. But I just really kind of wanted to understand how you would approach things in a, in, you know, in an R&T way that yeah. becomes a much more holistic journey. And when I say holistic, I'm talking about even outside the, the normal areas that, that people in fitness and, and health would approach. Well, what we did with you is uh, we identified your muck. And I call it the muck because everyone's got an underlying muck in their lives and deep, very, very deep inside of them that is affecting and compromising what they're doing today. And, you know, you had these belief systems around food, um, which related to your past. And in order to get to that next level, I could have given you all the macros in the world. I could have given you the best training program in the world. But without you addressing the muck and identifying it and, and putting ways, putting strategies to try and deal with them, nothing was going to work. You know, mm -hmm. you would follow the training program for a week or you would have eaten well for a week. But then that belief system would have kicked in and you would have reverted back to square one. So no matter what plan i gave you wouldn't have made a difference so we had to dig deeper we had to identify the muck to be able to start working on eliminating it after and that elimination doesn't happen overnight that's going to take time in itself but first the hardest bit is actually becoming self-aware enough to understand it exists and for most people when it comes to body composition and health and their own self-care it typically relates to their own muck we all have a certain muck that's related to their past and if we can identify it, we can start the work that needs to be done to start working through it. But the hardest bit is, is knowing why you're doing it. Because we, you know, we have these various crutches. And for many people, it's, it's food. It could be drugs. It could be sex. It could be any, any sort of life, poor lifestyle choices that you take to the extreme. And it all comes from a certain belief system or a certain event or, or whatever you haven't neutralized. And for many, if, if, you, if you find yourself con continuously in a cycle, it's probably not the diet that you're following that's that's the issue. It's probably not the training program. It's that it goes more than that. It's 
it's looking at the monk, but it's also looking at your why, it's looking at your triggers, it's looking at your structure, it's looking at your systems, your, your strategy for the day. It's all these things around it that are actually holding you back. And that's why, you know, when I was writing the book at the start, uh, I did a book planning day. And, they, and one of the questions I asked was, do you think I should have a, one question I kept asking myself was, should I have a, a, a training plan in this? Should I have a diet plan? And then I was like, well, no, because there's millions of those. But that, that's not the problem here. Like me writing another training plan and a diet plan isn't going to solve anything. It needs to be everything else that we've just discussed there that needs to be addressed in a formalized journey because that's what's allowed, going to allow people to rewire their mindset, behavior, and identity to then sustain things going forward. And the magic in, the reason why sustaining your body composition is so important is because it signals to your body and your brain that you've become a new person and you've dealt with all the issues that, were, that led you to spiral up out of control in the first place. Yeah, and I like that because we've been spending a lot of time talking and researching the new norm, you know, the, 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 we're looking at it from a societal post-COVID norm. But I, I think one of the things I've started to realize, that happens at an individual level as well. When you get adjusted and you settle to, this is my new norm, you, your body, mind, spirit adapts accordingly. But there's a lot of people that have been living under a set of norms that are not sustainable, you, you know, and I think, you know, without going off topic, you know, that's what we've been facing on the planet for the last sort of 10, 15 years. We've been living unsustained, destroying the planet, you know, everyone's getting fat, living off processed foods, um, you, you know, wars, famine, etc. you know, economic challenges, and all of this is because we have accepted the way things were, that consumption and greed and destruction is just, it's okay. What this situation has forced us to do is stop, to pause, reflect on all of the things that we do and how much it's really important because many of those liberties have been taken away from us. Now, in a way, and I'm not comparing RNT to COVID, or maybe I am, who knows? <laughs> um, but that's what it does. In a, in a way, it's taking away some of your, what you feel are your liberties because you're eating a, a particular diet protocol, you're training a particular way. Um, you, you're following a, a process, a structure, and at first there's resistance. And I talk about my own personal experience with COVID because it, it kind of reflects the journey I went through with with RNT. Whereas at first it's denial, you, you know, this ain't happening, or no, I don't believe that, or I know better. You're in denial about the, the advice or guidance that's been offered to you, or what's happening, um, because you just feel like you know better. Then there is probably a bit of anger and frustration when the, it sets in, okay, this is happening. It's like, I'm getting really annoyed and frustrated with this. And I, that's, you know, I'll be honest with you, that's probably what I went through the first couple of weeks into um, sort of my, my program with, with you. Um, and that's what I went through the first couple of weeks in, in, in um, dur during this COVID crisis. It's like anger, frustration, loss of the old life, loss of the way things used to be. Then you kind of arrive at maybe a bit of sadness and there's a lot of emotion that comes up. And then you finally arrive at acceptance. It's all right, this is happening. It's real. I've got to deal with it. I didn't arrive until that, till probably about January, to be honest. <laughs> it took me three months to arrive to that. But finally, the final stage for me was gratitude. And it's literally over the last two months, more so since I... You know, as I mentioned to you, I did a bit of deep exploration. I did a, a, a sort of a, a shamanic ceremony a few weeks ago to really delve deeply into this. And that's where I finally arrived at gratitude, where I'm so grateful for this. Just like I'm grateful for, for my journey with, with, um, uh, with R&T, I'm also starting to become really grateful for the gift that this crisis has offered us and the, the, the positives we can take from this. And essentially, you know, that could be identified as the cycle of grief, where you're losing or you're grieving for the old lifestyle, but then you finally arrive at acceptance and joy for the new, as kind of like, you know, a, shake, a snake shedding its skin. Now, I know some cultures view snakes badly, but in other cultures, they're quite a spiritual uh, creature. And that's kind of what it feels like. It's like something new is being birthed through this process. Absolutely. I think one of our team members actually uh, re uh, compared it to uh, a, sh uh, a snake shedding its skin and, and part of the Hinduism scriptures. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it's Lord Shiva and they, they talk about this journey of transformation and becoming a new person. So I, I completely agree. And I think going into 
the the grind of the photo shoot which is what i call it is is one of those periods where you start shedding the skin and, and then the other side is where you really peel the layers off and and reveal that 2.0 as i like to call it okay now seeing as uh, we've just agreed over the last couple of weeks we're working towards my photo shoot you know 12 to 14 12 to 16 weeks from now yeah. and i'm going to go through this process what can you tell me and everybody else that's listening about the famous Vigella grind, which I've heard so much about, not from you directly, but from everybody I know that's been through it. And obviously I appreciate there's probably bits of this you want to keep back so people don't go into anticipation or expectation, but what are you willing to share about the Vigella grind? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the Vigella grind is a coin, like the final four weeks before a checkpoint is when I you know, I drop the hammer, pull the pin, throw the kitchen sink. You know, all my catchphrases come out here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's when I just throw everything at you. But you're so motivated because you're so geared up towards that checkpoint. You'll do anything. And this is where I have the, the wonderful ability to just say, do this. And you'll, you'll say, okay, how many times? And I'll say, go, do, do, it, do it like this. And you'll just execute. Um, the reality is you can sustain a lot more than you think you can. And in this forget a grind, you really see how much you're made of. And you can push yourself to a limit physically and mentally that you've probably never gone to before. You know, you're probably doing 20,000 steps a day. Uh, you're, you're dieting on very minimal calories. Uh, you're training as hard as ever. Your body fat's low, so your energy's low. Um, all, all sorts. You probably don't feel that great, but you're so driven by this checkpoint. And, you know, if you can, if you can push through everything that life throws you at that point, whether it's work stress, relationship stress, day-to-day -day annoyances. If you can push through all of that and still get everything done on a day-to-day -day basis, you can, you can do anything, really. And um, one, one period of this Vigella grind that I, um, I always see in people is they become essentialists because your energy is so limited and your temper, and your, your temper is on short fuse and your willingness to accept bullshit just dissipates. So you become an essentialist in everything you do. You start auditing your life and you start thinking, is this really worth it? Should I actually be doing this? And you start dump delegating, automating different parts of your life in order to make it uh, better. And I call it a spring cleaning that you go through in this forget a grind, which uh, if you carry forward into your later phases when you have more energy, you find yourself living a life that's much more in accordance with your priorities and your values. Wow, got that to look forward to. Yeah. <laughs> so talking about pushing yourself to the limits and just discovering what you're capable of, your book just got published over the weekend. I know you've had a, a bit of a hard grind yourself. You had your own personal Bagella grind to get that done. Yeah. And having written four books now, four or five, I can't remember, uh, written several <laughs> books myself. Uh, yeah, I'm not being flippant. It's, they were such painful experiences that yeah. I tried to block them out of my memory. Like, don't get me wrong. I love being able to share what I've learned. I love the experience of being able to um, you know, produce something that is of great value to society. And the book birthing process, like birthing anything, whether that be a you know, human child, a book, a new project, whatever, is a tough, painful process. It's worth it. It's worth every second of it, but it's not easy. Talk to me about your journey with your book, Birthing Your Wonderful Book, which has already had lots of really wonderful reviews. I know people have been talking about it ever since it, uh, it was published over the weekend. But what was your journey? What's been your experience with getting that out and birthed? Yeah, so when I first got into the industry about 10 years ago, I always dreamed of having a book. Uh, I set a goal that I want to get a book out on the shelves before I turn 30. And uh, I'd, love, I'd love one day to have hold something in my hands. And then as I got more and more into the industry, I started writing articles. And I thought, okay, I'm a pretty... I enjoy writing and I think I'm pretty good at it and I'd, I'd love one day to turn this into a book and then it was just about finding that right time and then I was actually in the Vigella grind last year myself uh, getting ready for a photo shoot in September and I was doing a cardio session and it was one of those really tough days I just remember like I was going up a hill and I thought ah oh, the next challenge that's what I'm gonna do I'm gonna do the book so that, that was like the first idea light bulb moment like I'm gonna commit to doing the book and then once I came finished the photo shoot I, uh, I went to the States for two weeks and that was where I really started planning out what I want to do. And it was, it was in this time where we'd now formalized the business, we formalized the methodology, and I thought this is the perfect way to write the book. Uh, and, and then it was like I had no idea what I was letting myself into because up till then I'd been writing articles. But as you know, there's a difference between writing an article and a difference between writing a book. And it wasn't the writing bit that was hard. It was the editing that just completely threw me uh, off guard. I had no idea 
what editing would be like. Because there's one thing checking over an article and just proofreading if the, gra- if the grammar is correct and you haven't spelled anything. But when you're scrutinizing every single word and you're reading out loud your manuscript over and over again, that, that takes a toll on, on, on you that's similar to being in, getting ready for a bodybuilding show. Um, that's the only way I can compare it. Like, there was some days where I was just completely wiped mentally. I, like, I, I do my editing in the morning. And by 9 a.m., I've done two hours of editing. And I feel like I've done a, day, a day's work. I don't know if you can relate to that, but no, because I had a professional editor. You can do any editing at all yourself. Basically, uh, I've got people around me that make me look good, like Duncan Strutt back in the background, making me look good today. I've got a lot of people that um, that I've worked with over the years. That, that you know, I'm a, I'm an ideas person. I'm great coming out ideas, but I need people to polish and refine and finesse those ideas. So. I, it, it was good for me to be able to get my thoughts out. It's, it's my concepts. It's my words. But someone's made that flow. Someone's connected that together and polished it in a way that makes it, it flow. Because that's the bit I get really stuck with. Um, you, you know, just the writing bit took me, book, each book averaged about a year and a half. Oh, wow. um, but obviously, you know, I'm, I'm kind of busy with day-to-day work and travel and, and, and that kind of thing as well. But it's that bit that allowed me to focus on what I can do best and then ensure that there's other people out there that can help me with that. Now, ultimately, like, even more props to you for writing it and public, uh, writing it, being responsible for publishing it and editing it yourself and doing that in, like, seven or eight months. Yeah, so the editing. So, actually, I did have a copy editor uh, and a structure edit, but I wanted to give them the best possible manuscript. So I pretty much created, <laughs> like, I was like, I don't want to give them shit. I want to give them the oh, good no. Uh, are we learning something about you here, Akash? Maybe oh, a little bit of a perfectionist. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> so I can't give them anything less than what I... I want to exhaust what, everything I can get out of my brain before I give them anything. Uh, and I, I do think it was worth it because it, I felt like I only had one shot of a structure and a copy edit. I want to make sure this is bang on. Like, I don't want to miss my timeline. So, yeah, I spent a whole month editing the manuscript over and over again. Um, Fantastic. Well, so the hats off to you because just the writing bit's hard enough. Um, you know, the fact that you went through and, and did most of your own editing as well is uh, yeah. is, is, is pretty epic. Um, <clears throat> so, how do you feel now? The book's on the shelves. People are talking about it. It's being shared. You, you know, you can't even buy it on Amazon at the moment because they're sold out. Um, yeah, from from what I understand, they, they'll be back in stock very soon. I'm sure. So, you, you know, how, how do you feel now? Five, four, five days post publish. Uh, I think yesterday I told you I was I feel exhausted, but exi- I, it's been exhausting but exhilarating at the same time. The whole experience, like I've been riding on adrenaline and a buzz uh, for so long, uh, talking about the book, sharing the the whole promotion. Like I did a big campaign leading up to it, uh, and then we had a big party on Zoom. I'll be on Zoom, um, and you can still see some balloons in the background. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I feel I feel amazing. It's it's it's. It's been a real special moment bringing bringing this uh, bringing this piece to to life and holding it in my hands. I don't think I'll get ever get old just looking at it um, on the other side of the room. Where I think I think what's even cooler though is when I see people tag me in their stories or, or pictures and saying they're reading the book and they tell me what they they've learned and what their aha moment was. Because I've got a bit in the start of the book, I said, "Tell me what your aha moment is." There'll be a realization moment you have in one of the phases or one of the the parts of the book that make you think, "Oh, this is what I need to work on." And, Hearing these things have made all those hours and hours of, of working on the book all worth it. Mm-hmm. This is just the first one. You know, I have a couple of days off and you can get onto the second book. Yeah, that's why. So, this is the bad thing. On, the, on, Sunday, <laughs> on Monday morning, I went for a walk and I was like, hmm, what do you think the second book should be? I've got like, a couple of ideas. I'm like, oh, should it be this one? Should it be that one? <laughs> do you know what? Like, just from personal experience, no matter how many books you write, there's something always going to be special in your heart about the first one it's kind of what people say about their first child i know you're not supposed to have a favorite child but um the, the you know it's just, that first experience is magical because you've got nothing to relate it to you, you've never done anything like this before and you know subsequent books will be proud moments but there's nothing like holding your first book in your hand when you get the publisher's copies uh the author's copies through in the post it's just something incredible about opening that box and i remember seeing your pictures on on facebook of you doing just that and i remember it reminded me of my experience of of the same thing so cherish that moment and that's something that you can use as fuel in the fire for book two three and four yeah absolutely (laughs) (laughs) just setting you up there i know (laughs) (laughs) you heard it here first guys 
But talking about journeys, you've had another epic journey because this year you celebrated three years of R&T and you've accomplished a hell of a lot in three years. You, you know, I know that you're working with people around the world. You've got, you know, what, 20, 30 odd coaches now, more maybe? Uh, um, ten, that work. Ten coaches. Sorry? Ten, ten coaches. coaches, yeah. It feels like more because they're also larger than life. Uh, so, you, you know, you, you've got your, your incredible team. But I want to talk to you about your journey of entrepreneurship because there's a lot of people that follow our channels that are entrepreneurs or, uh, you, you know, yeah, aspiring entrepreneurs. Talk to me about your journey to entrepreneurship and the challenges you face and, you know, what motivated you to, to, to start that journey because it's not an easy one. No. So my, my journey begins like 10 years ago when, uh, actually a little bit longer, I always wanted to be a lawyer when I was growing up. I wanted to follow, follow my father's footsteps in and become a lawyer. Um, and then I got bitten by the, the gym bug uh, as I turned about 16, 17. I started getting more and more into reading about health and fitness, researching everything. And at the same time, I was doing work experience uh, with my family friends in Mumbai. I did a German exchange uh, law, law um, experience in, in Aachen in Germany. Um, I did it in London. You know, I was all set to do this, this law career. And then I spent two weeks at the firm my dad works at. And I was like, I can't do this. Like, this is, this is not what I, I'm, I'm here to do. Like, I can't spend my life in an office in the, in the corporate world. And uh, I, that whole summer, I remember just thinking, like, I've got to go, something's got to change. And then I remember I was in a careers um, class with one of my best friends who first took me to the gym when I was 16. And he saw me looking through health and fitness articles when I was meant to write, when I meant to be writing my personal statement for law. And he goes to me, why don't you just go into health and fitness? I was like, there's no career in that. What can you do in health and fitness? But it sparked, it planted a seed because then I went home and thought about it and I looked online and I saw there was a degree called sports science. So then I had to uh, do the, uh, the honor of telling my parents that I wanted to do uh, sports science, not law. And the first response I got was, how are you going to pay the bills? Uh, and then once they understood that this was a science degree uh, and, and I got them around to it, uh, it was all good. And I went to university. I started training people free um, at university. Then I left to um, I left university and I, I, I started working in the city as a personal trainer. And then when I started working in the city, that's when I realized that I, I don't know if just being a personal trainer for a, for a big firm is what I'm here to do. Because in all my spare time, I suddenly started spending time reading business books and l looking at what uh, small side hustle I could set up. So I did a, I did a little t-shirt business. I started looking into uh, educational centers I could set up. And then I, I even just went just shy of setting up a dessert lounge as crazy as that might sound right <laughs> i need to sign the paper i need to sign the papers on a dessert lounge uh it's gonna be like it was gonna be called lulu wait, be wait hold on I, I just need to process this because i've learned two things about you that i didn't know that you potentially could have ended up as a lawyer and that and it, i just can't imagine you as a lawyer and then secondly akash's dessert lounge it's just it yeah. just doesn't fit with everything i know about you well the funny thing is it actually links closely to the book because the reason okay. why, the reason, the time this happened was in 2014. And after my, I did a bodybuilding show in 2014. And in 2014 is when I had a really bad rebound where I, 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 I went through a period of dieting cycles, yo-yoing, rebounding. And I gained 13 kilos in eight weeks after my first bodybuilding show. And in that period of time and in the, the months and years after that, where I was trying to get out of this rebound cycle, what I was doing a lot of is visiting dessert lounges. And I was visiting these dessert lounges, and one night I was with my mum in a dessert lounge, and I said to her, "What do you think? Uh, what do you think they're doing here, numbers-wise? Like, they look pretty busy. It can't be that. Uh, they can't be that expensive to run the food here." And so I started writing notes, like a little brief business plan on a piece of paper, uh, and I thought oh, these numbers could work. And then I started looking for sites. I found a site, and I was just about to sign the lease. And then I was like, "Hold on a second. Am I gonna, am I gonna work as a personal trainer in the daytime and then moonlight?" as a dessert lounge in the evening that's going to be a bit conflicting <laughs> wait you're like one of those you, you, you know drug dealers where you you, you know you're, you're you're kind of peddling the drugs or giving it for free <laughs> and then you're sorting them out and then by day you're a drug counselor <laughs> yeah fueling fueling both economies yeah exactly but also recruiting potential customers you you know the people that are eating too many desserts it's like here take my card i'll train you tomorrow in the gym <laughs> nice the best marketing available um, <laughs> so that, that's that's when I realized that um, I, I wanted to set something up for myself. And I started to see my colleagues working around me who were having families. And as a personal trainer, I don't know if you know, but it's very unsearchable hours. It's either six in the morning, um, it's either six till nine is your busy time, lunchtime, and then seven, uh, six till nine in the evening. And these, these people weren't seeing their kids uh, growing up or seeing their families or partners or anyone really, because they're out of the house at five and back home at 10 and then doing on repeat, Saturdays included. 
And I was like, I don't think this is sustainable for me uh, long term. I think it's, it was great at the time, but I couldn't see myself doing this forever and living by a client's uh, diary and, you know, getting on the train at 5 a.m. and having a client, your first client of the day, cancel. And that's when I thought I'd been, people, I'd been helping people online for a while, but never in a formalized way. And I thought, let's actually turn this into something online. Let's, do, uh, let's create an online coaching platform that, that isn't cookie cutter like everyone else, that isn't um, generic, and, and it's focused on getting good results. And that's where RNC was born. Amazing. So that, that was three years ago. Yeah, three what years on the 24th, yeah. On the, on the 24th. And just listening to your story, and I want to get into what's happened since then and where you are now. That's, it's good to have kind of the, uh, the origin story, if you like. And it, you know, just listening to you speak, it sounds very much like you found your ikigai. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Japanese concept of ikigai. Have you ever heard that reference? I'm not too familiar with it, though. Go on. It quite literally translates to the reason for being. So Ikigai means your reason for being. It's where there's certain aspects of your life that come together. What you love, what the world needs, what you can be paid for, and what you're good at. And when they kind of come together, it's four circles, and the bit in the middle is the Ikigai. And every one of us has our Ikigai. But very few of us will discover it because... We're not willing to peel back the layers and get to that place of discomfort where it will become apparent. Because actually the easy path is for you to become a lawyer or for me to become an accountant because that's what path I was on. Can you imagine me as an accountant? I'm terrible with numbers. I can barely fill in my check-in check every week and get the numbers right, let alone you know do people's like accounts. I remember but, you, couldn't, you couldn't figure out how to duplicate a sheet on Excel. Oh, uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And can you imagine that my, my career path, yours was being a lawyer. Mine was being an accountant because that's what my dad was. That's absolutely no way in the world that that was going to happen. So I'm very fortunate that, you know, I get to travel the world doing something I could do for free. It's a bonus that I get paid to do it. It's what I love. It's what the world needs. It's what people are willing to pay for. And it's also, you know, it's what I'm good at. I can, I can talk and inspire and, and, and motivate people to, to take positive steps within their organization or within their lives to improve their, their well-being. So obviously you've had a number of different experiences that have helped you to identify your ikigai, but our podcast is called Life Changing Conversations for a reason. There was a moment in Akash's life that was that pivotal, seminal moment that changed the course of your life. And it could have been a series of experiences. And what do you feel was kind of that seminal moment in your life where you realized what you're calling, what your ikigai is? Honestly, it was probably in that careers classroom where my friend said to me, why don't you pursue health and fitness? Because before that, it never even crossed my mind. And I still, I can picture that moment so vividly even now, because if it wasn't for that conversation, I wouldn't be doing this, what I'm doing right now. And I, I met, for, met him for a walk on Saturday, actually. And I said to him, Dude, like 10 years ago, we were in that careers classroom. Like how different things could have been. Uh, and I have so much gratitude towards it because if it wasn't for that conversation, that life-changing conversation, wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. And he was actually, so, to that, he was the first person that took me to the gym. He said to me, why don't you come to the gym? And I was resistant. I had the resistance. I said to him, no, nah, I don't want to be that guy in the gym on, on, the, on the lunch times. You know, that's not, that's not cool. Um, he was the one that forced me into the gym. So that, that could be another life-changing conversation itself. So those were the ones that, that 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 choice between doing law and health and fitness was definitely the one for me. So it's been three years. What's the journey been like? Well, what have been your highs, lows, biggest accomplishments, any regrets in the three years since RNT came into being? Yeah, biggest high I would say uh, is very vivid is the, the two anniversary party. And what I did differently on this one is any previous meetups we'd done, because we're an online business, Anything we'd done before was always in the gym. So we'd always hire our gym and do a meetup. For this two-year anniversary, I decided to hire out a bar in London. And I thought, let's just fill up this, this whole club with uh, RNTers. And it was probably one of the best nights I can remember. We had about 300 people with the club in, in the central London. And I think I, was, I got there at 7. I left at 4 a.m. <laughs> um, and it was, just a, it was just a brilliant moment because it, it brought everything to life. And it just made us realize how many stories we heard that night just made me realize just what an impact we're creating in the world. And everyone was, and the stories were here. It wasn't just like, I'm in the shape of my life. It was how, what they've uh, done through RNT has, has been a vehicle for so much great good in their life. And that was just like, wow. Like I put it, I had to soak it all up. Um, and I remember the feeling of, of being on stage when I gave a little talk and just seeing everyone and, and just being like, wow, this is, this is pretty cool that from nothing, we've created this room full of uh, like-minded, positive people all trying to make change together. That was definitely probably the biggest high um, 
that I can remember. And then I would actually also add, like bringing this book to life has been uh, the second high um, for sure in the, in the three years. And what about lows? Every, every roller coaster has got to have ups and downs. I mean, the lows, they, they feel like they come all the time. Like pretty much on a daily basis, you're fighting fires. But biggest ones, I would say the hardest um, periods have been, uh, so I started this with a business partner. Uh, I would say the the partnership breakup was a difficult period of, of my life and, and the part of the business journey. Um, taught me a lot about business partnerships and when they work and when they don't work. Uh, you know, I had a business partner who was also one of my best friends. Uh, but uh, while we while we were good friends we didn't have the same value system same goals and without the same values and and the same mission and the same goals a business partnership is never going to work um, and the even worse thing was we had the same skill set uh so it just there was just nothing there was no need for it to be a business partnership outside of fear and shared confidence um in starting the business itself that was a difficult period it taught me a lot about um about values and about uh, making sure that you're, you're surrounding yourself with the right people and also about embracing difficult conversations because that that in itself was a life-changing conversation there, you know, making that decision because as soon as that happened, everything started to change for the positive. Um, and I would say that's definitely one of the hardest periods of, of, um, of being in business in the first three years. No, of course. And what does the future hold? What's next for R&T? Yeah, the future. So... You know, I, I always talk about R&T in the same journey of the five phases that we, we talk about in the book and in our methodology. And we're very much in a consolidation phase now, uh, whereby, you know, we've had, a, we've had some growth, we've hit a checkpoint, and now it's like we're in a critical, turbulent period of trying to find our feet before deciding what, what type of uh, investment phase are we going to go into? Are we going to try and really grow and embrace the fluff of a big team and a big, uh, big staff and, uh, and, and systems and processes? Or are we going to try and stay leaner and um, and take that route and become more premium. And I've just been trying to find, doing a lot of soul searching myself. And I know I'm speaking to you about uh, different ways of doing so. And it's uh, it, it's very much in the immediate future of June, which is straight after the, the book's been launched. June is all going to be about finding out what I really want to get out of R&T. And then, yeah, just spending the next quarter kind of understanding how I want to grow this rather than how I should grow it. Because I think there's very there's always an expectation of how you should grow a business. And I want to make sure I do it in a way that's in line with how I want to do it. Um, so it's finding that balance. Um, no, it's an interesting point that you say that, you, you know, how you should grow a business. Anyone that gives you any kind of advice on how to grow a business at this precise moment, if they're giving you advice is lying to you. And the reason I'm saying that is no one has any idea of what the world's going to look like in three to six months time that people can predict but basically, we've been through the biggest period in change or a global scale than in living memory. You know, I think probably the last historical precedence was World War II. And, you know, we're definitely facing a recession, potentially a depression, which could last up to 10 years. The economy's been destroyed. We still don't have freedom of movement. You know, the... the Every aspect of our lives has been impacted in some way, and it's not just us. Um, you know, gyms are closed. People are really focusing on needs of survival. So there's a lot of what could be considered luxury uh, sort of uh, aspects to their life, whether that's things that they buy, things they consume, things that they do, have been removed either because those, you know, the the the, the channels to be able to access those things like gyms and restaurants and cinemas are closed or it's just lower down the priority list and everyone's just trying to stay alive. So I, I guess there's a twofold aspect to this question. Number one, the impact that that's going to have on RNT as we move into what we describe as a post-normal world. You know, it's highly unlikely we're going to get back to how things were even a few months ago quickly, if ever. This could be, uh, you know, a resettling effect which results in a completely new norm. Mm. So the two parts to this question are, number one, the people out there right now that are looking at things like self-improvement, health, well-being, fitness as a complete luxury. Ain't got time for that. Ain't got money for that. Haven't got the energy for that. Um, you, you know, how do we look at that? But also that very much ties into the future for, for, for R&T as we look at, adapting to a world that is unfamiliar, uncertain. In fact, as far as I'm concerned, the only, the only historical precedence we have from this comes from Hollywood. 
And according to Hollywood, everyone's going to turn into zombies and try to eat your brains. Do you, do you know what I mean? So we have no idea. Like you know, anyone that says they do is, is, is frank, frankly not, you know, being completely authentic. What are your thoughts around that? And I said, like, twofold question, obviously, to the impact of the individuals right now that are looking at this as a, as a luxury, as a superfluous sort of areas of their life, but also the impact to you as an organization. So if you take the first one, uh, first question, and take R&T out of it, let's just talk about self-care. Self-care on its, on its own isn't a luxury. You don't need money to, to take care of yourself. You can still go out for a walk. You can still control what you put in your mouth. Uh, you can still control what you consume. So these sorts of uh, areas of self-care shouldn't be a luxury. It's an essential. Like you need to be taking care of yourself in order to survive this, this, um, this period of time. And even just to thrive in any, any period of time, you need to be laying down the anchor and focusing on your foundation. So, you know, RNC or not, any, any um, extras on top of that is a bonus. But at the very core, it doesn't cost anything to take care of yourself. Um, but, but, but it does cost something. Not financial, though. A lot of people go into fear. They're scared. And the cost is doing something different, change. Change is uncomfortable for a lot of people. Uh, Stepping outside the comfort zone. I know a lot of people, and I've got to hold my hand up. There have been times I've done this where I know I'm going to start a training program on on the 1st of June, for example. And up until the 1st of June, I'll be drinking and eating and, you know, living it large because I know that's going to start. And, and, but you're approaching it wrong because ultimately it's like I'm sacrificing or giving something up. And if you've got a strong enough mindset that you'll be able to do that. But a lot of people go into fear. And the moment you're in fear, your body goes into stress. You make poor decisions. You can't think clearly. You can't problem solve. You can't think laterally. And a little obstacle comes up in, in the path and it will derail the journey. So again, that's something else that I want to explore because a lot of people are in fear even before they think about starting any kind of a new program. Which is why you don't need to completely overhaul your life. You can just start with something small. So it could be as simple as, okay, I'm going to try and drink two liters of water today as opposed to my normal one liter. You don't need to change anything else about your lifestyle. Just change that one thing. So if you approach uh, any journey that you're on with small steps and just try and implement one habit at a time, which isn't massively life-changing. I know you just drank some water there because I reminded you. (laughs) Then you're going to... uh, it's going to take away some of that fear, which is, you know, if you think I've got to train, eat well, diet, uh, sleep, manage my stress, drink water, all these things, and you're not doing any of them at the moment, that's going to feel scary. That's going to feel, that's going to give some anxiety because you're going to think, how am I going to fill this all in? And then if you don't fit it in, you're going to fall into that cycle of I failed. So I don't even need to bother or uh, you start devaluing yourself and you end up in that vicious, vicious cycle, which only induces more stress, bad decisions, etc. So, Setting yourself up for success is a big part of this. Uh, and that can be as small as I'm just going to drink an extra glass of water or it's going to be I'm going to add an extra 2,000 uh, steps a day or I'm going to try and sleep seven hours a night or whatever it may be. And then just watch those habits stack on top of each other and your, your overall uh, lifestyle start to cascade positively. I, I think you've touched on some important points there because fear is one of my biggest concerns at the moment that we live in a world that's perpetuating more and more fear be scared the coronavirus is going to kill you don't leave your house don't touch your friends and family unless you're a politician then you go and do what you want you know you know all of this kind of stuff it's just it's just fear-mongering and the more fear that we're in the harder it is to be able to step outside the comfort zone because you we literally get debilitated by that fear social media is filled with things that are filling you with fear the news mainstream media a lot of the conversations that people are having are fear-inducing because we're scared and we want reassurance from the people around us. Now, it's bad enough with the ambient factors. Now, obviously, then we introduce in the fear of starting something new or doing something different. That's where, as I said, like for, for me, I want to be sure that people understand why this is something we need to prioritize and you know part of this equation is to look at what can you let go of and it's interesting you said before that when you get to the point where your energy is limited that you really start to be quite brutal about cutting things out and as you know sort of in March I did come down with the virus I was sick for a couple of weeks and my energy was really limited it was that was the char grind you, you know the vagella grind is like you focus and you know you you put yourself through this process on purpose the char grind is just go and get coronavirus you lose four kilos you know you've got no time for anything else so if anyone wants the char grind i will find someone that's got the virus and we'll, we'll get it on 
Four weeks, trust me, you'll be in better shape than, than the most training companies can offer you. But it's not healthy and it might kill you. That's just, just a warning there. But the, the, the point is, though, that when your, your resources are diminished and you're in that place of fear, because when you're sick or there's other factors that you're in that place of fear, you don't have the headspace or the capacity for anything else. No, you, you, yeah, you've got a valid point there. So you've got to look at, this is where you've got to think, okay, I'm going to try and do something positive for my self-care and my lifestyle. What's it actually going to add to my life right now? Um, and how can it connect to a deeper level? So is it your family? Like, do you need to start thinking, or well, I need to be paying attention to myself so I can be strong for my family who might be feeling even more fearful and, and anxious than I am. But they're looking to me as, as, as the rock of the family. I need to be there for them. How do I be there for them? I need to take care of myself. I need to make sure I'm healthy. I need to make sure I'm strong. So for a lot of people that I speak to, is very much looking at what is their number one priority and how could, how can we connect that self-care to that priority? That's something I really loved about the early part of my journey um, with RNT is the why. And if your why is strong enough, you'll find the how. And I think that the, the, I think the way to cut through the fear is have a big enough why, a, a why to be able to navigate no matter how turbulent the waters get. So that's, that's, that, that's, that's something I definitely would uh, I- encourage people to take on board. But then relating this back to sort of obviously how you see uh, yourselves uh, uh, as an organization adapting and developing to fit what we describe as the post-normal world where, you know, everything's up in the air. We don't know how quickly can get back to gyms or to be able to do things that the way they, 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 that, that people are, are accustomed to. Well, the good news is that we're an online business, so that's a massive uh, plus right now in that it doesn't affect our day-to-day running. Uh, the fact that gyms are closed haven't, hasn't really been a disruption to the way people train because it doesn't really matter. Um, and I think people are realizing that the, the reliance on gyms can be reduced. So that's, that's been a big win. In terms of like how it's going to affect us in the next year, like you said, it's impossible to predict. Uh, all we can do is continue to produce great work, continue to create amazing content, and... Uh, uh, just react and, and be proactive as much be as proactive as possible to, uh, and then react in the moment when necessary uh, so it's impossible for me to give a crystal uh, answer to that when I don't really know myself and I'm sure you don't either on, on no, no absolutely all we can do is just be willing to uh, ready to adapt and yeah. to be dynamic enough to cope with whatever uh, is about to happen if you've got enough flex in the cable um then you can take it but if there's no flex then that's obviously where things start to snap and i think that's a, a key point so we've got yogesh um is uh, live with us today he's asked a question uh, so hi neil hi akash i've been following the rnt for about a year congrats on your achievements my mind has fully decided to give it a go but what's the reasoning for starting in september how does this part of the training schedule work so uh, I know a lot of people have to wait. Uh, I, I obviously could answer that question, but it's definitely a question for you. Um, so so do, do you want to fire that back? For, for yeah, there's, there's no um, scientific reason for that. It's simply we just take on clients on a quarterly basis. Uh, so January, March, uh, July, and um, September. So that's that's the only reason why it's, it's September. We just uh, sold out our July intake. So the next opening after that is September. And then the one after that will be January. Excellent. And yeah, it's, it's fantastic. I'm always seeing that you're getting sold out several months in advance of the next intake. Um, and uh, are you happy with how things have progressed and your growth and the trajectory yeah. you're on as an organization? Yeah, I, I'm happy with that. I'm, um, I'm very happy of moving on to these quarterly cycles as opposed to uh, taking on clients all the time because it's given us, it's been a, from a business point of view, it's been a great way to organize ourselves. Uh, the coaches understand when they're going to be busier than, than other times. The admin team know when they need to do what. Uh, we have times where we can improve on our systems and, and behind the scenes, as opposed to constantly taking on clients, when, which was we used to do before uh, May 2019. Um, but this has been a really good way to systemize the business and, and keep us organized and also allows clients who are starting at similar times to go on a similar journey together on, on their own uh, as well as together. Awesome. And I think I'd like to just spend a, a few minutes talking to the people that don't know anything about RNT or are not part of your uh, of the RNT family. Is well, firstly, what's your why? My why for what? For RNT for life. You know what? What gets you out of bed every morning? What drives you? Question. So I wrote. Um, 
I wrote an article that I released on Sunday called My First Three Years in Business. And I talked about my evolving why over, over that time. When I first started, uh, you know, it was very much to start my own business, and which is something I'd always wanted to do. Then it started moving into like, I need to prove everyone that I can do it. Like I had this voice in my head, which was, uh, you, are you sure you can pay the bills? Uh, are you sure about doing sports science and law? I had that in my head for a while, which I didn't realize until afterwards. I, I was driven by that quite a bit. Then it was, uh, how can we uh, get better and better? And then now I start, you know, it was all about self-mastery, but now I just start thinking, uh, we know we've got a, a product that works. We know we've got a journey uh, that works. How can we just make this as, as good as possible? And, and it's almost like I'm playing a game with it now. Like I feel like every day I'm playing a game with, with the, with the journey of, of RNT. And it's like, how can we improve, improve all, how can we like play around with all the different facets of the business to make this game? Uh, how can we win this game? And it's a weird sort of why, but that's, I guess it evolves all the time. Like your why always evolves. But right now that's what's getting me out of bed. It's like, how can we win this game? Um, probably not the answer you expected, but that's, that's where I'm sort of heading at. Um, and then the, the, the deeper why is always, always around like, I know the power of the physical as a vehicle. And it stems really from, from myself. Like when I was 18 years old, when I, I, I always talk about when I, was, when I was 17, I was the skinny fat kid with moves in a pot belly. You know, that, that, was, my, that was my description of myself. Um, but by the time I was 18, I, I transformed myself and I'd gained so much focus, con control and confidence in the process that I realized it was more than just the physical. And over the years, I, I, I was in that um, trap of only thinking it was about the physical. And it was only when I started RNT and I started getting feedback that I realized that it isn't. It's more than that. And that's when I reconnected with why it had such an impact on me back in the day and why it ultimately forced me to take that career trajectory. And because I know the power of the physical as the vehicle, I want that message to get out there as, as, as much as I can in, in, in as good a way as possible, which is one of the driving reasons for the book. Um, and so that's the, that's the deeper why now, essentially uh, the why of RNT. Um, and then my why at the moment is like playing the game with RNT of, of how we can how we can win it. Nice. And for people that aren't familiar with you or the, the RNT uh, approach, um, you know, just watching this because they're interested in the subject matter or they, they just watch all the, uh, the LCC podcasts. If you had to give three bits of advice for people to take away, whether they choose to, to, to find out more about RNT or otherwise, What's the kind of three bits, you know, the, 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 the golden nuggets that you could give people as takeaways from our chat today? I would say it's identify the muck that's been responsible for causing bad, poor lifestyle choices that you may be living. And how really? would people do that? Yeah. Okay. It's going to take a lot of journaling. It's going to take a lot of introspection. You're going to have to ask yourself, why have you got here? What crutches do I fall to when I'm triggered or in a bad place? Uh, what what am I trying to get away from? What holes am I trying to fill? These are questions that they're not quick one-liners. These are ones you need to block out some time and really think about and take some time off the grid to, to explore. It's not, it's not something that's going to come to you straight away, especially if it's been locked up for a long time. So you're going to have to really get in and get to learn, get to understand uh, yourself and, and why you do certain things. I think that's a, that's a massive one in itself. And if you can, if you can do that, you'll be able to then uh, eliminate, work on the process of eliminating it going forwards. The second one would be uh, if you are on a physical, physical, if you're trying to change your physical body uh, and your body composition, just make sure you think about it as a journey. Don't think of it as, a, uh, as an end point once you get into shape. Think of that as a checkpoint and the start of the real uh, transformation because then it's about rewiring your mindset, behavior, and identity to realign with that version 2.0. That would be my second point. And then the third one is... Uh, to take yourself to the extreme and out of your comfort zone at least once uh, with yourself physically because you'll, you'll learn so much about yourself um, that you didn't realize before. Whether it's, whether, it's a body, whether it's in body composition, whether it's in uh, an endurance event, take yourself to a point where you didn't think you'd go to and see what you learn about yourself because it will be, like you said right at the beginning, a very spiritual experience. For me, the Ironman was probably my most powerful spiritual experience, uh, both the training and the race itself. Yeah, you um, probably at a point where you just you couldn't even feel your legs. You probably couldn't feel your body. You were just an outer world experience, right? Well, no, the first thing that goes is your body. Uh, yeah. You know, having run marathons, your your body gets to the point of exhaustion, and the second thing that, that happens is then you kick into mental power, where it's your mental toughness. Is I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. 
So the mental toughness kicks in. That's the second thing that goes. The third thing is emotional. So it's physical, mental, then emotional. And the crowd are there and they're like, you've got your name on your shirt. They're like, go on, Neil. And every time you get that, you get a bit of a lift and you kind of feel a flood of euphoria. So your heart keeps you going much further. Now, you can basically accomplish a lot of endurance events by going through those three phases. Physically, you're exhausted. You kick into mental capacity. Mentally, you get exhausted. You kick into emotional. Emotional is enough to carry you across the finish line for a marathon. And, you know, even going up bigger distances to certain triathlon distances, you can do it in the same way. But when you get to Ironman, when you're basically training, you know, 40, 35 to 40 hours a week, when you are engaged in a race, which unless you're an elite athlete, is going to take you 10, 12 plus hours. Um, you get to the point where even emotionally you're done. There's no, there's not even heart left. And then you go into this weird out-of-body state where you're connected to something outside of yourself and you're kind of moving, but you can't stand. Like I stopped to piss twice on the Ironman. I fell over both times because I couldn't stand, but I was just in this weird forward motion. They call it the Ironman shuffle. So you just like <laughs> shuffle it and you're moving and you've just got this muscle memory yeah. just moving and moving and moving. But I remember my brother and my dad had uh, come out to watch me um, and they were, because it was in Mexico, it was a beautiful day, and they're just like sitting there drowning down in Coronas all day. And they were, by, by evening, they were properly leathered. But they said that you were like a zombie. It was like you physically weren't there, but there was something deeper driving me. And I just remember kind of having these trippy flashbacks to that experience. And I know there are other people that have had, you, you know, like done cross-channel swims or had like some kind of, you, you know, uh, challenge where they were stranded on a mountain for a few days or something like that. And they all describe that kind of almost like a near-death experience, if that makes sense. And so what you're saying for me resonates with that because you get to the point where there's nowhere else to go but that other than outside of yourself to something greater. Yeah, and that's what you feel when you when you push yourself physically. Like I've done it in bodyboarding competitions where I, I take myself to the point where, which is beyond like, photo shoot lean or beyond beach lean it's like lines on my ass lean like it's so lean that there's not much body fat left but to get there you have to take yourself to a point where most people don't really want to go to it's like you've constantly got a devil on your shoulder you're you're, you're doing cardio and you your your mind is all over the place you're you're thinking on a different planet uh and, and you're just walking around like a zombie for a couple of weeks but it's those couple of weeks where you find out so much about yourself um that i don't think anything can replicate like any outside of physical when there's there's nothing outside of a physical challenge that can replicate that feeling naturally anyway well interestingly you say that because you describe the the, the physical as the gateway to to deeper aspects of yourself and i would agree even from a spiritual perspective connecting with the body is the most powerful way to connect mm -hmm. to uh, you know the truth of who you are your sovereign cosmic power um is a phrase that i love to use all the time and a lot of people kind of roll their eyes in the back of their head but but ultimately we are sovereign beings with incredible power but most of us have believed the bullshit that they tell us that you're nothing you're worthless you're just you know just you an individual with no power and no capacity to create change whereas actually if you can do that for yourself how else could you show up in the world differently and i could say like, like for you, um, with the, some of the experiences you've described, the Ironman was a seminal moment because I started to ask myself, if I can do this, what else can I do? What yeah. else could I accomplish? Yeah. And that road led me to being sat here right now with you, you know, talking publicly about a photo shoot I'm going to do at the end of August, and I'm a little bit worried now. I always get asked, like uh, I was asked on a, on a podcast the other day, like what have been some of the biggest uh, teachers of business? Like where have you, where have you learned the most from? I was like, honestly, it's from bodybuilding. It's from like pushing myself physically. Like the lessons you learn when you get take yourself to that extreme are so applicable to business that it's it's scarily how it's scary how parallel they are. You know, it totally. teaches you that ruthless consistency, the, the ability to drive no matter what, to keep going. These you know these cliched sayings, but you can you can say them. But if you experience it physically, you can live it in business. Totally. I know I'm absolutely on board with that. And I, honestly, I could keep going for, for hours, but we're going to have to wrap up because we already hit the hour mark. And, you know, I am milking the fact that today the shoe's on the other foot and I get to ask the questions because normally it's the other way around. And I know, oh, really? you know, come tomorrow that, you know, roles are reversed again. And um, I, I have been nice, so don't roast me too much on my check-in on Monday. So, you know, I've been doing my best to temper it down. Duncan, I know you've been sitting there in the background. Is there anything that we need to ask or anything else that we would like to know from Akash before we wrap up today? And just while Duncan's coming on, 
Um, whilst he's doing that, where would people find out more? If they're interested in finding more about you and the, the, the program and the work that the RNT do, how would they find out more? Yeah, so go to our website, rntfitness.com is the best place uh, for all the blogs, all the YouTubes, all the podcasts. We have our own podcast called RNT Fitness Radio. Uh, and the best thing, if you want to learn about everything we do in one place, is I get the book, Transform Your Body, Transform Your Life. Go to rntfitness.com forward slash book. Uh, all the links can be found on there. You can watch the trailer. I've even released the trailer. That's pretty cool. Um, you can get okay. some books. You can read the free, first chapter for free as well. Uh, so head to rntfitness.com forward slash book and everything's there. Well, listen, it was a real pleasure to have you on, mate. Uh, we'll we have to do this again soon after my photo shoot and I can talk well, about you, all my experiences. Yeah, we can reverse. We can turn the tables and I can bring you on. It sounds good. Awesome. awesome. Well, listen, Thanks. it was a real pleasure. Enjoy your time off. Well deserved. And um, check in on Monday. Appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to the Life Changing Conversations podcast with Neil Shah. This podcast was produced by Change Your World Events in collaboration with the Stress Management Society. Like, comment, and share, and keep the conversation going. Hashtag LCC podcast.